identities exist beyond margaritas, taco Tuesdays, and mariachi bands. <laughs> With over 21 countries and territories identifying as Latin American or Latino, and over 30 million individuals from these places living outside their country of origin and creating diasporas in many parts of the world, Latino slash Hispanic identities are important and they're here to stay. In an effort to highlight some of these complexities, we created the Identities and Belonging series, a collection of group discussions and individual stories from advocates, leaders, community members, and creatives who identify as Latino slash Hispanic and live in Georgia. We hope this series allows you, our listeners, to expand your vision of what identity and belonging can mean for Latinos here in the United States. We hope you can listen to, learn from, and celebrate the incredible people that share their experiences with us. Join us for weekly episodes every Friday, starting September 22nd, and don't forget to follow us so you'll be notified when a new episode comes out. And I know this is a long introduction, I promise I'm almost done, but this series would not be complete without a special message on terminology. We acknowledge that people choose to use different terms to refer to their identity. Some prefer Latin American, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, Latine. We hold space for all of these terms and respect the people who use them. We will primarily use Latino, but you may hear us use them interchangeably throughout our content. Y ahora sí, welcome, bienvenidos, y que disfruten el contenido. So, thank you all for being here today. Um, as I was saying before we started this whole recording situation, um, I'm very grateful that you're here. You are both people that we have met along the way and that we know are doing important work and um, committed to the communities here in Atlanta and Latino communities um, and in whatever way that looks for you, um, which I'm excited to have a conversation about. Uh, this is intended to be, again, a casual conversation. We, um, part of our story collecting initiative is, is created, it was created to build uh, safe spaces and comfortable spaces for people to come together and, and talk and discuss things. And as we're looking into Latino Heritage Month, we know it's a packed month of events and a lot of intense uh, times for people that work in, in any sector related to Latino communities. Um, but we wanted to go a little bit beyond that and, and really create a space of, of intentionality and, and a conversation. So thank you for being here. Um, before we get started, I'd love to go around the room and um, introduce ourselves, share what your pronouns are, and anything else that you feel identifies you. I don't want to limit that to a nationality or a job or a career or orientation, whatever. Um, it's just whatever you think it feels right for the space and how you're going to show up and that you think is important for us to know. Um, and then the other thing about this conversation as well is we are aware that there are many terms and expressions used um, to, to describe Latinidad, Latino, Latine, Latinx, Hispanic. Um, and so our intention in this conversation is that whatever word that you do choose to use, everybody else respects that term. Um, and we will open the space for whatever that term is for you. Um, does that sound good for you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So I'll go ahead and start. My name is Natalia Garzón Martinez. And I am uh, Colombian. I am also from many other parts, uh, lived in different parts of Latin America, and that really um, affects how I show up in, in spaces. Sometimes I feel like I belong and I also don't belong. Um, I've been in, in Atlanta for longer than I've been anywhere else in my life, so that has been a really big uh, moment for me and a decision for me. Um, 
I am an artist and a storyteller and a listener and I appreciate spaces like this and, and the time and energy that people bring into, into a conversation like this. Um, so thank you for being here. I will use Latino or Latina, that's the term that feels right for me. My name is Victoria Garcia. Um, I am a Buford Highway native. I think that that's important to me and it drives a lot of my work. Um, I am a creative, I'm an artist as well, and I do a lot of photography along Buford Highway, so that's like an important project for me. And I think the way that I like to define myself, it changes at different times. Um, but I like using the word Chicana. I use Latina too, but Chicana is just more specific. Can you remind, um, share your pronouns with us? She, her pronouns. Awesome. Me too, here. Natalia. Hello, my name is Jonathan Peraza Campos. My pronouns are he, him, él. Um, I think of myself as Central American um, and Latino, but Central American before Latino by way of the occupied territories of what is now known as El Salvador and Guatemala. Um, and I'm very proud of that. Um, and I'm also an educator, an organizer that found a home and fights fiercely for Buford Highway, uh, where Vicky and I do a lot of work together. We love it. They also came wearing the same colored shirts. <laughs> Besties. Hopefully, <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> um, hello, everyone. My name is Elia Mendez Valdez. I am a Buford Highway native, too. Grew up in Chambly, now live in Brookhaven. All I need is Doraville. Um, I am Mexican-American. I identify as Mexican-American. Um, I don't know. I'm a community organizer. I um, have been in the nonprofit sector since high school, and I think that's where I belong. Lovely. Cool. So, I, again, so much of what I want to talk about today is related to this idea of identity and belonging, how identity is fluid, and like you said, sometimes it changes. Um, and also the notion of belonging. Um, some, I think the first session we had someone make the distinction of the fitting in versus belonging. And um, it, it seems like an obvious thing, but it somehow stuck with me and it's something that I'm even thinking about today going into this conversation. We're all coming from different backgrounds and, and different um, experiences. So I'd love to just start talking about our own definitions of Latinidad and, and how has Atlanta or the areas that you've been around, how has that shaped your own definitions of what it means to be Latino or any term that you chose to use? Anybody can go. Mm, I would say that I think uh, Latinidad is so broad that it's almost, um, I know we're like approaching the month, but I almost think sometimes it's kind of useless, but then again, it's not because it's like helpful. Like we do have a lot of similarities, but it's so broad. It's like, yeah, not, not all Latinos speak Spanish. Not all Latinos are Catholic. Not all Latinos consider themselves to be of indigenous descent. Like there's so many different um, takes that people have for like the ways that they, um, like for some people that are from Latin America, when they come here, it's not really important to them to identify as Latino. Um, but I, so at the same time, I think I hold those like opposing uh, ideas that I think sometimes it's so general, it's kind of useless. But then when you're in America, I think it is more useful than like when you're in Latin America, because it's more like country specific or it's even like within Mexico, it's very like 
not just region, not just state, but like what part of what state you're from is like, that's your people, you know, not all of Latin America. Um, But uh, yeah, at the same time, like all of us coming from like all these different backgrounds and being in the US, I think it is helpful to find some similarities of like being byproducts of colonization and we all kind of share, not all, a lot of us share this feeling of like separation geographically of like our motherland and Mm -hmm. dealing with things uh, with immigration and like language accessibility and and um, xenophobia all of those things that kind of there's positives and negatives that unite us I guess within the US yeah I very much agree with Vicky Um, I think that we hold a lot of contradictions because I agree, like, you know, like, I feel at home in Latino communities, capital L, Latino, Latinx communities. I go to the festivals, I go to the art shows, I go, you know, everything that's labeled Latino, like, I feel at home in, because it brings us together. And at one point in time, it was politically useful to have these categories, Hispanic, Latinos, that just trims us together into this brown smoothie, um, despite all of our differences. But, you know, and, and while I feel at home in the Latinx community, and, and it brings us together in a lot of ways, I also think that it needs to be complicated and it needs to be disrupted and I'm getting, I'm really grateful that a lot of more critical people are getting to a point where we want to get rid of this notion of Latinidad mm-hmm. because it hurts certain people in our community over others, like indigenous peoples of Latin America, black Latinos who never get, or especially places like here that we don't see many Afro-Caribbean people, right, like, and just Afro-Latinx people in general, like, it erases a lot of folks and so... I'm grateful that we're getting to a point where Latinidad is getting complicated and we're getting to a point where we're maybe thinking, maybe this isn't as useful now as it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, it's useful in many ways. It brings us together in a lot of ways, and I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And we got to push the boundaries and really be a lot more critical and, and think of different ways, new ways of calling ourselves. Because that's why I like choose Central American over Latino, because not everybody has a history of war and U.S. intervention that colors my experience and that other Latinx people won't understand. And so to me, Central American and leaning into that helps me recognize that that's who I am, that's where I come from, and other people might not understand that and experience that. Um, but, you know, that goes into deconstructing what we understand as Latinidad. And yeah. We need to have more conversations about it. Yeah, I think it's so important to talk about nuance and, and to disrupt the definition. And I, I think about language a lot too, right? That mm-hmm. we're all, oh, Latinos speak Spanish. Well, no, like, how many people speak dialects. Mm-hmm. And um, something that I, I know I have tensions with is I was, I was born in Colombia and I was never taught anything about the indigenous communities that lived there before and that I, I carry part of that ancestry in me. Um, same when I lived in Ecuador, I was learning about, you know, American history and I knew, knew like the American Civil War days, mm-hmm. uh, but I had no idea what had happened to the Quechua communities, uh, literally where I was going to school. Um, so thank you for saying that and for bringing this up, that, that it's, it's fluid, but it's also it needs to be disrupted. Um, I, I know we've been, I've been hearing different conversations and different points of view. I honestly haven't had a minute to like process it or think about my own definition. Um, growing up in Buford Highway, I feel like I was fortunate enough to be within my community, but at the same time, I think I had a different take on my community than I could have had. Um, there was a point, I guess, growing up that where 
I was proud and I say I've always been proud of my community and my background and everything like that but I think there was a certain point where I would try to stay away from it to try to like fit in and, it, and I think at a certain point I tried to figure out what does it mean to me for me to be Latina what what do, what do I do what have I been doing that contributes to that um so I think I'm still in the process like I think some of our other um speakers that we've had previously where trying to discover what that means to me or like how I define Latinidad or if I even have a definition for it. Yeah. I think that's what I'm, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay too, right? To, to not know and to, yeah, for it to change with time. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's human. It is human. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this idea of the difference between to fit in and to belong? Like, do you feel like that resonates with some of your individual experiences? Like the difference between fitting in and yeah, belonging? Yeah, like if, if, if you're, the way that you navigate these terms has changed for you. I think um, something that it's kind of related that comes to mind for me is like, I, I identified as like Mexican-American. I still do like Mexican-American, Latina, Hispanic. And then when I went to, when I started getting into community organizing and going to the GLAR office, they had a, like a, program for like political education for children and they taught them a lot about like Chicano studies stuff and like about them feeling like proud of that legacy that like that being Chicano is not it's more than being Mexican-American because it's it's also recognizing like a political struggle of people of Mexican descent like within the U.S. and like the things that they went to and the history of like the brown braids and stuff like that and and of being of indigenous descent too so I remember being in that in like that um, environment and them saying that that like this term is like more specific to you that this is like kind of like where we belong, like being Chicanos. So I do think that like uh, yeah, like that feels important. I guess like that feels like a belonging. For me, it's uh, it's more complex too because my my father is from Mexico, but my mom is white, like Tejana. And so um, I was raised mostly around my Mexican family. So that's like my, my family experience. But sometimes like in, um, there are Latinos who are like, oh, if you don't speak Spanish, then you're not like really Latino. Or if you're not like, if you're not from Latin America, you're, if you're not born in Latin America, you're not Latino. Or yeah, if, you're, if your entire family isn't from Latin America, then you're not Latino. So sometimes I think in there it can be like fitting in, you know? depends on which ones you're around because people define it differently. Yeah. I, I recently was, was giving a, a talk on um, like code switching um, and, and I think like cultural code switching and, and it, it came to mind that I, I professionally navigate a lot of spaces that are primarily um, white and, and mostly in English and it's a, a very intentional way that I am coming into these spaces, being aware of when am I doing something because I want to fit in. And behind the fitting in, there's just this hurt of not belonging. And, and I think trying to heal that for myself, and we said it in every session, but you know, the name of Natalia versus Natalia. Um, and, and when people call me Natalie all the time and it makes me angry and for a lot of time like I, I wouldn't say anything and, and now I feel like all this pent-up anger is like 
coming out. Um, and, and yeah, just, just accepting that the, to want to fit in is a very natural and human part of just existing. Um, but then finding spaces where you belong just because you're showing up as who you are, um, that is healing because then when you go into a space where you're, it feels like you're just pushing something to try to fit in there, um, then it feels less, less organic and, and, and it allows, it has allowed me to expand um, and, and inhabit different spaces and feel, feel good about it. I'm glad that, you know, we, we, we're at a point where we get to talk about this as adults. Um, and I think that a lot of my work around helping young people, like students, figure out the difference between fitting in and belonging has been big for me because I know for me growing up, like fitting in meant assimilation, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to be whiter, like white, even like whiter skinned, like not, get, not getting any sun, right? Growing up and wanting to have blonde hair, blue eyes, all those things and, and green eyes and like, and trying to not speak as much Spanish growing up. Those were things that were part of my experience when I grew up in like wider communities. Um, but now like, now I'm like the complete opposite where I want to break all the rules. Like you will not put me in a box. I will make you, I will break the box. And one example is like, you know, I tell my kids, like my students, cause I teach sixth grade right now, you know, make them say your name, make them say it again. And if they get it wrong, make, make them say it again and say it again and say it again until they get it right. Because I tell my students, like, you carry your ancestors and your last names. That's your family. And if people don't have the time, like, people are disrespecting you when they are not even trying to say your name. They want you to fit into their box instead of them trying to make you feel like you belong with who you are. And so I'm very big on that. We're like, you know, like, screw fitting in. Like, why are we trying to assimilate? Why are we trying to be palatable? Why are we trying to make other people feel safe around us? instead of them making the effort, the intentional effort to make us feel like who we are belongs here too. And so I think that that's my big crusade right now with the kids, like making sure that they understand young, like, no, like they have to make sure that you belong. You don't have to make them comfortable around you. That's not what we should be doing. Yeah, to be responsible for other people's comfort, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. I love that. No, I completely agree with you. Like um, ever since, I think I started correcting people especially in middle school, um, or like it's Delia Mendes. Uh, at one point I was like, no way, I have a whole nother last name. Because like in my birth certificate, there's a hyphen. I think at one point it was just easier for me to just write one last name, but I was like, no, that's not my name. My, my parents gave me, well, my full name. I'm like, oh, you're gonna get my whole government name. But um, <laughs> um, it's like, my name is Delia Mendes Valdez, um, especially like always and all my documentations and I think it makes my mom really happy she's like oh you included your last name you included my last name I was like yeah it's my last name too and so just recently I received my diploma in my mail because I just graduated yay um and it was at first it was just gonna say Delia Mendez but I was like then that's not my diploma that's not gonna be my certificate because that's not my name and so I was like jumping through hoops with like the registrar office and everything like that I was like I need this to include my second last name it's like well why wasn't in the thing I was like I don't know I guess I was just trying to make it simple when I was applying for college or something um and so then thankfully when I received it it had both last names and I was like yeah this is me this is my diploma this is for my family and you can just see it in my especially my mom she saw that like oh you include Included your second last name I was like you don't have to doubt that anymore like yeah that's my name why am I not going to include my second last name um, and it's just 
I guess with like family and friends, um, now when they have kids and everything like that, it's like, oh, what's their name? And then I've made it a big thing. I guess like, oh, it's like the way they pronounce it. I was like, so is it this way or this way? They're like, no, it's this way. It can't be both. I was like, mm, I guess. But I was like, you have to figure out which one you want. Because if it's like the way you pronounce it, like in a Hispanic way, then like say that that's going to be their name because then you're going to have the child like trying to figure out like do I want to say the Hispanic way or the American way and it's like if I'm going to give my kids a Hispanic name then they're going to have to pronounce it that way because that's their name Mm -hmm. and so that's a big thing but I realized like that's how I'm owning up that's how I'm going to continue like showing up in different spaces with like my name like the pronunciation and everything like that so that's what you just reminded me of that's so beautiful is there anything right now that you feel that you have questions about in terms of your like relationship to being Latino or something that you're like healing and kind of is there a current tension for you that you're trying to navigate if you feel comfortable sharing it of course I think for me is feeling safe in my own community because mm-hmm. I think you know I'm a gay man and and I'm an organizer and I just have this anxiety that lives in me that if a white supremacist doesn't kill me, a homophobic member of my own community will be the one to kill me. Um, and yeah, that's just something that I live with, you know, like being a teacher too, like I'm a gay teacher in a conservative, more conservative Latino community. What happens when a parent finds out and makes it their business to try to destroy my reputation, my life, right? Um, because that's something that they're just fundamentally against. My existence, you know, and even my students, you know, students have very backwards views you know that's what they're taught and so I think that I always feel like I feel at home in my community culturally but in terms of these other parts of who I am I'm also scared of my community sometimes about how they're going to reject me and treat me if who I am does not sit well with them or another piece of who I am doesn't sit well with them yeah thanks for sharing that and there's a lot of taboos in the last conversation we had we were talking about like the, the almost gendered roles that I think I grew up with, um, like as a woman, I have a sister, so it was all women in my house. Um, and now just being able to live in a different country and, and to see different things. Um, but I still find that sometimes in, in my own spaces where I feel like I belong, I'm like pushing boundaries and questioning um, you know, the way that we relate to each other and traditional ideas of, of monogamy and how you define sexuality and how you define intimacy. and there's always this voice, right, that's like, you're being too loud, you're being too much, um, you're being, you know, too sexual, you're being too something, mm-hmm. and, and it, it triggers all of these ideas that that, that are so um, anchored in, in the way that people define Latinidad in many ways and in many communities. Um, I would think I ha- there's, I guess, um, did you, you said things that you're healing, like with your, mm-hmm. with like how you identify with yeah. being Latino? Sometimes I think about how intertwined Catholicism is with being Latino. And it's like what, like when you, like when I go back to visit my family, so much of our traditions that you think are like Latino traditions, it's actually just like the Catholic Church. And there is things that like Latin America has added to it, you know, because of like the Vatican trying to ease the transition of their original spiritual beliefs into like what the Vatican was teaching, you know? 
So there is still like remnants of that, but um, there's so many things that I grew up with. It's like, yes, like I was baptized in the Catholic church and stuff like that, but I just have a different like spiritual or perspective on spirituality than a lot of, or my entire family. Um, <laughs> um, but there's things that I really love that we share, like, it's so much fun when there's a baptism and there's a whole like party and there's like throwing the bolos. Like, I don't know why we throw quarters at each other. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of really nice, like rich, like family rituals around that. But I wish that, um, that there was some way to keep those things. If you, if you leave the Catholic church, how do you hold on to like, still really significant family rituals and like life milestones that like, how do you adapt that if you want to leave that behind? Mm. Um, my, I have a tia in Mexico, like bien conservadora. And then she had this like, um, I don't know, this like point in her life where she was like going through a divorce. And then it was like, everything I knew about her was like falling apart because it was like a crisis time. And she was like, pinche vaticano quiere controlar a todas las mujeres and like nos quiere mantener como brutas like <laughs> like she just went yes she was rebelling so hard and like i don't know why she also went on this rant like i was shopping at a little very like my family's from a very small town in in mexico and so it's and it's jalisco which is supposedly the most conservatively catholic state in all of mexico and she just went off on this man and was like, talk. I think they may have like sort of known each other because everyone knows each other. And she was probably like, Hey, I'm going through a divorce, yada, yada. And then talking about news. And then he started with like, si estoy de acuerdo con la igualdad de los géneros, pero no de la forma que las mujeres ahora lo quieren pedir. Like, like what they're doing in Mexico city is not like that's, you're not going to get it that way because you're not like, you're not being respectful. And then my aunt was like, yeah, yeah. She was like, I have been the best mother I could be. I have been the best daughter I could be. I have been the best sister, the best cousin, the best everything that I could be like as a woman and all these roles. It doesn't matter how good any of us behave. Like y'all still won't like respect us the same. Like, and then she was like, at a certain point, you know, like that story that happened in Mexico, she was like, if you're a mother and you found out that someone killed your daughter, you're going to like burn it, it all down. Yeah. yeah. And like, and when people aren't, are like refusing to recognize the problem, like you're, you have nothing left but to burn it all down. And so I don't know. I really appreciated that moment because I was like, I feel like, you know, there is a history of us being this badass all the time, yeah. you know, <laughs> where we like demanded respect and equality. And there's, yeah, this tradition that we have been taught. It's like your role as a woman is to be very submissive and to be maternal, to be nurturing, but like, and that's fine. Those are really good qualities, you know, but it's like when that's expected of you, but you're also, not being given like dignity in life then mm. i don't know but yeah latinidad is very tied up with catholic values and what's it um is it called marianismo mm -hmm. but yeah yeah, yeah like that. About that yeah. yeah like it's i wish that it wasn't that way though yeah. and i yeah i'll tell stuff 
my family will be like, it's really bad when women do this. And I'll be like, hey, Dia, uh, I'll be doing that. I don't know. <laughs> like, I <laughs> I have a, a cousin who recently came out, and I was like, don't worry. I will be the problem cousin, like, or the problem <laughs> grandchild. Like, you don't even have to worry about, like, you being the black sheep. Like, I'll, I'll take the bullet, and, like, I'll be the worst one of all of us. <laughs> I'm fine with this. <laughs> I love that. There's definitely power in that. Um, yeah, my, my sis made me think of my sister. She's a, she's a lawyer in Colombia, and she's 32. And my family also extremely Catholic in Colombia. And uh, my sister, she is not dating anybody. She lives alone, has no plans on dating anybody or being with anybody in the near future. Um, loves her chihuahua, Delito, <laughs> like living her best life. Um, <laughs> But and she's also a badass. She's she's a lawyer and she defends um, women who have been victims of domestic abuse. And uh, and every time that she goes to all these you know almuerzos with the family and people have just very conservative views on so many issues related to women um, and to having rights over your own body and the decisions you make. Uh, she will stand and be like, "This is this is where I'm at." Um, and she's so she's just so powerful in the way that she chooses to disrupt all of these spaces and she decided that she didn't want to have kids and she got her tubes tied and it was like a scandal. A scandal. Yeah. Um, but she was happy in the scandal. She was like, Yeah, I That's made me. the decision. Read it um, like <laughs> Yeah, so it's definitely powerful for, for to just know that you have that in your family too and that you come from a lineage of um, of anger and um, and that it's okay to express it. <laughs> yeah. Just being able to step into like your own autonomy, right? It's such a crime in our culture. Mm-hmm. Like being able to choose your bot for your body, for your desires, like especially as a woman mm-hmm. and any other kind of marginalized person. Like, yeah, if you don't fit in the box, like something's wrong with you. You know. I okay. I actually was just in Colombia like two weeks ago. And I will be chatting it up with taxistas like everywhere I go because I think it's they're I don't know they're from there it's like interesting like let's let's talk about something. So I said something about like yeah the situation of like um, a woman who got pregnant in Colombia and um, like the man left her like after she was pregnant and then the, the taxi driver was like. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a Colombian accent. Like, I see tenas, pero eso es el pan de cada día acá en Colombia. He was like, Las mujeres colombianas se entregan muy fáciles. And I wanted to be like, No, that is not the issue. The issue is that women are taught that you don't have worth on your own and that you have to find a partner. And that's like, unfortunately, part of our culture. And like, men know that. And like, I don't know. All the women are like, astonishingly beautiful and the men are like dude like <laughs> yeah you just you just came out of bed and you walked around the world like that and then it's also interesting that the word he used in Pandekalia that's a that's a religious term like yeah the bread the daily what is that? I don't know what it is in English our daily I bread think so. daily I bread. learned in Spanish in yeah so that yeah the Disrespect towards women is in pantica, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yikes. It's ugly. <laughs> it's ugly. Um, 
So, well, first of all, thanks for, for sharing all of that and all these like personal family stories. Um, so I know that you all do work, uh, you're committed to communities here, um, and a lot of that intersects with people that come from similar backgrounds and similar identities. Um, and I'd love to chat a little bit about why you feel like this work is important to you, um, and if there's anything else that you want to say about what it means to, to belong to these communities and, and, and to help these communities and what that means for you. <laughs> I would say for, for me, before I even got you know, radicalized and more political, I always had uh, like my finger on what was happening with immigration policy, just because of my personal family, like history and background. So that was, that was like my, my entry point for doing more like community work was that I cared about um, like immigration reform and how Georgia's policies were hurting like lots of people and how Georgia's a really bad state or I mean, at least 287G isn't around anymore, but um, but yeah, it's like a hard state to live in if you're undocumented. And um, because there's been people in my family who had like of mixed status, that was something that is pretty uh, prevalent like in this community. And so I think I felt that investment that's like, I'm working on this thing that matters to me because it also affects people I love. And if I do work on Beaufort Highway and that's like also my home, so there's nostalgia there for me too. It's like part of, I feel like my personal identity. Um, so I have a personal, like even like emotional investment in it. And um, I come from a creative background. So like I've, I've been involved with different organizations and done work with Jonathan a lot. Um, but I wanted to also do something with that was more of like a creative pursuit. And so that's why I started doing photos. And then I, I realized that like, I was like, oh, I came, I moved back to Beaufort Highway and it's so different from what it looked like, like when I was growing up here. And then like, even now living here for several years, like a lot of stuff has changed. And even some stuff that was like, I never rode the El Expreso bus to Mexico, but it was always there and now it's not there. So um, I, I wanted to take photos of like how quickly it's changing and the fact that property, like buying a property on Beaufort Highway is crazy expensive now and it's not accessible to people who- Or even renting. Yeah, or even renting. Like it's like the prices of Beaufort Highway are becoming very inaccessible to the point where I think the reason people are attracted to Beaufort Highway is because of these people, like what they made and built here, mm -hmm. and now they won't be able to stay there. Like, there are there the sustainability of the community is threatened by those things. So, that um, I guess is something that like pushes me to do work. Mm -hmm. It's like I feel personally invested in this community because like it's my community too, and. I can relate a lot of the community members' stories and situations to things that have happened to people I love. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, very similarly, um, I think I got into organizing and, and I call it liberation work because there's a lot to be free from, a lot to be liberated from. But I got into liberation work through immigration policy first. I think education was always important to me because I went to really under-resourced and segregated and racist like school settings in Georgia, 
Arkansas and just everywhere I've lived, New York, right? And so, I mean, I just saw the ways that education was not what we deserved. Like we, I think Latinos, we have a strong sense of like, education is important, despite what racist stereotypes might, might say about us. But we never had the chance because the things that we deserved in our education weren't given to us. What we were entitled to wasn't given to us. And so education justice, um, immigrant justice, racial justice were always big for me because I saw the ways that we were just not treated the way that we deserved. We were, our dignity, our humanity was just, you know, was, was, was taken away from us by these systems that we live in. And so, I mean, got into, yeah, organizing. And that's how Vicky and I met and like just organizing uh, immigrant justice work. But abolition to me is something that's really big right now and that I really want to build consciousness in our community about because you know, slavery and imperialism, these big systems, right, that a lot of our folks don't understand fully, fully, um, but are still a big part of how we live and why we suffer what we do. I think that really waking people up to these realities of white supremacy and imperialism and policing and the prison industrial complex that shape our lives so deeply um, through immigration and education and gentrification and all these issues think that that's the work that we, Vicky and I have been doing really intensely the last few years, like showing our folks on Beaufort Highway, our youth on Beaufort Highway, like these are the systems that are hurting us, but this is what we can do about it. And really helping wake people up to the fact that we have power, you know? We can't always beg bureaucrats and nonprofits and government to save us, right? And to to give us and to fix everything, right? It has to be us. We have all that we need to be empowered and to take action as long as we do it together and strategically, right? Uh, we have to rebuild the world on our terms instead of begging, please, please, politician, Republican senator, please give me my rights. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of us begging these people that have made up their minds. I'm tired of Latino and BIPOC leadership with no backbones. Uh, it has to be us. We save ourselves, not these people that claim to be our leaders. Yeah. Is there anything, you said the word to wake up and, and I maybe think of awakening and actually made me think of your, your idea that you just mm-hmm. talked about, right? Like, this kind of explosion of, like, wait a second, uh, what am I doing here? What, who has brought me here? Um, and and there's, there's power in that, and, and I think there's a lot of hurt in that as well. Um, how do you feel like you, in the work that, that you both do, how do you feel like you navigate supporting, like, exactly that? Like, when you get to the point of awakening and it's dire to like face this reality and this truth like what kind of balance is that like how can you find support to just hold space for this is the truth and now i know that's a tough question (laughs) i um as far as like my photography work, I'm not sure because that's some kind of something that like I do more solo. But I did do, I did do a couple of interviews, um, like because I, I wanted to start working on oral history, like an oral history project, and so I did a couple of interviews. And in each of those, I I remember the conversation went really well, and like I have my own opinions, but then like hearing these people like elaborate more on like the beliefs that like they had come to like, I guess more recently, or uh, I asked them questions about like how they felt. Uh, Actually, we did talk about belonging, like what makes you feel belonging. And there was one, there was one person that I interviewed that like, I have my own thoughts about like what's happening to Beaufort Highway and like how people let developments happen that increase like 
you know, the um, like property costs and stuff that like make it inaccessible to people. Um, but I, I like when I do oral inter oral history interviews, you know, it's like it's more about leaving space for the other person to talk because you're not supposed to like interrupt mm -hmm. them, you know. And there was one one someone that I interviewed, and then he was talking about how he went to Cross Keys High School, and that he how he was a student at Cross Keys at the time that redistricting happened, and um, then he got changed to Shambly High School. And like, I was just listening, but he was like, you know what I realized after that is like, our school was so segregated because why did I live all, I like, I lived in Shambly, but almost like by Dorville, but I was having to go all the way to Cross Keys for high school. And if I missed the bus, which he was like, I would do that sometimes. Like, and I tried to walk to school. It's like, my school is so far away. And then, you know, when I got sent to Shambly High School and he said like also his his parents like did not like him being at Cross Keys and they thought it was not a good environment for him. Mm -hmm. And then when he got changed to Shambly High School that it was like a totally different environment. Like it was a way better school and also that he had like never been around white kids before and around kids that like brought their own cars to school and stuff like that. And so he was like, I realized at that point that like we were intentionally segregated, that there's like... Mm -hmm parts of Beaufort Highway that there were district lines that were drawn so that basically all the Latino kids that lived in the apartments could all be funneled into one school that was the crappiest school that's falling apart and like he was like no you don't you don't get an education there and a lot of my friends who like stayed at that school like it didn't go well for them and they didn't finish or like they, they didn't go to college and like when I got a perspective like a different perspective being changed to Shambly High School I saw how like how segregated like we were um so i don't know i think i wasn't trying to like guide his conversation that much but i remember doing that interview with him i was like oh i feel like he's like having like yeah like a light bulb moment went off like damn i was like forced i was like yeah we were all funneled into because we were brown latino kids we were funneled into the worst school in the area yeah anybody else I mean, I think that, so I actually know this student that Vicky interviewed because I was doing youth programming mm. at Chambly like some years back. And to me, like education is a space that we can uh, curate for folks to be able to have these conversations, right? Mm. I think that we know that there's something wrong. All of us know in our gut, know in our spirit that mm. something is off. Maybe I don't have the words for it yet. Maybe I don't have the context yet, but I know that this is not okay and something needs to be done or something is just off, right? Like we always feel it. We always feel discomfort in our bodies and in our spirits and, and, and our, cause we've done some political education together. Like we have youth organizing conferences here on Buford highway every summer or from our like Buford highway collective every summer. And we've done some adult education and in every single space that um, we've been able to create that I've been able to create as an educator. If you just ask the right questions, and we, ha we, are, we can be in community with each other and we can share experiences, we start to connect the dots. Yeah. We start to realize, oh, you going through this too? You too? Wait, so what's going on? Like, why is this <laughs> happening everywhere, you know? Yeah. And then you bring in political education, you show them, well, there's this policy. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the history of that. Well, this is what other people in other places have been saying about this that might be happening here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, and to me, like, political education is just, like, super important. But also cultural education, like... Latino studies is a big thing that 
we, I've been developing in this area for a while and like when we finally just have the spaces to break bread together and be in community and build relationships with each other and have these conversations and have these learning spaces to think more critically about things that we already know, we just don't know that we know it yet. Yeah. That's when we really start to see these light bulbs going off and that's where people start to get moved to, okay, well, we have to do something about this. This is not okay. So what's next, right? And then there's this so much, there's so much guilt too tied to consciousness. And and when you become conscious of a thought, then then you feel guilty for having it. <laughs> um, and and to like you said, to, to find spaces where people come together. I, I love feeling and seeing when the whole like wait you too that feeling is is everything that these systems don't want us to feel. Um, and so power to you and, and the work that you're doing because to be able to create that moment of, wait a second, yeah, I feel that way too, um, that is disrupting everything that has been built to not create that feeling. Um, Delia? Yeah, I was just going to add what y'all were saying. Um, I remember one of my major like aha moments or like, oh man, like what the fuck's going on moments was when I was in youth groups and um, I went through a nonprofit youth group and I was part of it and they were very youth led. And so one of the projects, it was about alcohol outlet density levels and Buford Highway. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, what does that mean? Um, and then it started like clicking in my head of like, yeah, I can walk like not even five minutes out of my school or out of my apartment building or out of like just in the street alone. There was like, I can find where I can get alcohol, obviously. Not buy, well, buy alcohol, buy cigarettes and all this stuff. Um, and I was just like, why is this in my area? Why is this in my community? Why is there more of these outlet um, density? Like it's super high here and compared to other like places like say like I were to go to Shambly. Um, on the other side of the bridge, that's not as prominent. And it's like, why is it where I play, where I work, where I live? Like, it was just a aha moment for me. And so then doing all these different um, programmings, doing all these different, um, or having these conversations with my family members or even like my other peers, I was like, you're right. Like, why is this in our area? Like, what can we do about it? But then you start thinking like, oh, well, can't really do anything about it or like it seems like you can't do anything about it because like oh we're young and this and that or like they're not going to listen to us or like it's obviously here for a reason they're going to keep doing this and so I think like you were mentioning Natalia like they don't want us to have these conversations they don't want us to kind of have that like aha moment um because then it disrupts their plan or like their whatever they want to keep instilling in our communities yeah is there any way that you all think um, working with these communities is allowing you to expand your own definition of what it means to be Latino or to define your own identity? I can say for me, um, especially at a certain point, I would just speak English with my, fam with my family sometimes or speaking English with my friends, even though we're Hispanic and they're Latino and we speak Spanish, it was very hard at one point like to automatically switch to Spanish. Um, I mean, I think in both languages, sometimes I do stutter in Spanish, but I, it was always instilled in me, at least for my madrina, like nunca te olvides el español. Um, when I used to go to Sunday school, it was in Spanish. So they were teaching us how to read in Spanish, how to write in Spanish. But at a certain point, 
like I just wasn't engaging with that. Um, and so I felt like I was letting go of my identity a little bit because I was like speaking or expressing myself in English and I feel more comfortable in English sometimes, but it's like, no, I don't want that. Like, so Mexicana, like, tengo que hablar español. Like, I just feel like that's part of my identity, like being able to, um, converse, especially with the work that I do, um, serving and helping the Hispanic Latino communities, just like that sense of like comfort level with our community members like when they hear you speak spanish like oh like their eyes brighten like oh finally someone can understand me. someone can actually like get my like get me to get the help i need and stuff like that and just seeing that expression from my community members that i want to continue serving from part of the community i'm part of um i was like no i need to continue working on my Spanish. I need to actively like speak Spanish with like my friends, with my partner. Um, because I mean, I also don't want my future family to forget Spanish, especially because I'm going to continue living here in the US. I don't want it to be like, oh, I can't have a conversation with my abuelo or my abuela, or I can't have a conversation with my tia or my tío. Um, and so I want to continue like practicing my Spanish so I don't forget that part of my identity. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm working on right now. I love that. <laughs> I think in my work, I've it's just adding even more to the expansiveness of being Latino because I've spoken to people who I was like, oh, you know, I see you as Latino, and they're like, actually, I don't want to identify as Latino. I want to. And I met someone who's like, I I prefer to identify as indigenous because. Like racially, if you look at me, I don't look mixed with white at all. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. Um, and I've met people who felt really important to them to, it was important to them to research the history of lesbian Latinas and who came from, who also like identified as Chicanas. So um, like there's so many different things that people from their own experiences, from their own life, that's like, this doesn't feel represented currently in Latinidad. So like, how do we incorporate these things? And I guess I've just encountered like different versions of that as I talk to people. Um, or I've, I met someone who, I, I know someone who, who doesn't speak Spanish. Like he's like his phenotype, you would say he's Latino, but he's Tejano and like been um, removed from like the country of Mexico as it stands now with the borders that it has now for so long that he doesn't speak Spanish anymore. And that's the thing too, that some people, like at the same time, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I force myself to speak Spanish, but then sometimes there's people who are like, if you don't speak Spanish, you're not Latino, or you're not mm -hmm. like a real Latino. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers that question, but I think I just, I just, as I interact with more people and like the work that I try to do, there yeah. people have so many different versions of themselves. Yeah, I remember one of the, best words that I learned in school was intersectionality. <laughs> oh yeah. I think that word just like exploded my brain in like the best way possible. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of what you're saying now that there's the more people you meet and the more people that you connect with, the more you realize that yeah, we are showing up as women, but we're also showing up with different orientations and different expressions of gender and uh, different races and different ages and all of these things make you so unique. Um, but to, to be able to kind of meet at those like, beautiful intersections, but then also agree and accept that there's 
many different variations to a single person and, and even bringing into this conversations, you know, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, Latino Heritage Month, it, it, it erases the notion of intersectionality um, because we cannot be reduced to like margaritas and tacos and you know, papel picado somewhere, hanging some from somewhere. Um, and and, and the, the idea, and even this conversation we're having right now is, is bringing a different context and a different nuance, as we were saying earlier. So I love that intersectionality forever. <laughs> Your whole like papel and uh, picado and the like margaritas and all that just remind me of when I went to like a Hispanic Heritage Night game for a sporting team. And they had the mascot wearing a sarape. And I was just kind of, I feel like there's more to that. I was just kind of like, mm, like, I felt welcome at one point, but then just like, like turned me off completely. I was like, they couldn't have him like, I don't know, something else, but a whole like sarape and like uh, sombrero. I was kind of like, mm. that's cute. I was like, it is, but I was like, that, you could have tried a little harder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just a little harder. <laughs> um, but that, that reminds me of just like how there's so many, there's so much more, and it's like, there's not, it's just not Mexican, like, it can be, like, a Salvadorian, it can be Honduran, it can be, like, any other, like, yeah. nationality within the month. Yeah. Kind of going off of what y'all two said, or what everybody's really said, like, I think thinking about, like, Latinx and Hispanic identity and who we are and where we're going to, because what Latino is now is not going to be the same 15, 20 years from now. We might have yes. a new word to call ourselves, right? Yes. We're fighting over Latinx right now. Yeah. Well, we're going to have something else down the line because that's just, like, culture is always changing, yeah. you know? But I feel like in terms of, like, expanding our notion of Latinidad and who we are now and where we're going, like, I have a hard time figuring out the tension between what you both said because you were talking about, like, we have to preserve, like, our language, our culture, who we mm -hmm. are and pass it on mm -hmm. 100%. But we're also always changing, you know, like... Who, like there's so many ways of being Latinos where some of us only speak English, some of us speak Spanish, some of us speak Spanglish, right? Some of us speak not even Spanish or English, but like mom or quiche or quiche, right? A lot of my kids are Mayans in school and I'm like, Yo, learn your third language, dude. Like that language been here for thousands of years, learn it, you know? And so, but also who are we going to be like, yeah, a decade from now? And so I don't know, I feel like Part of being Latino now and where we're going is like understanding like we have to be agents of change in our community and part of that is knowing the language mm -hmm. and being able to speak to our people and connect with our people and preserving that and being proud of that and also leaving room like leaving wiggle room for all the ways that all the different versions of who we can mm -hmm. be and how we live our lives in those intersections and so I hope we get to that sweet spot of yeah. preserving what we value and who we are especially to build community but also understanding that our community has so many different varieties of who we are. Absolutely. That's so important. It makes me think of um, even something that we said at the beginning of the conversation of um, like how we ourselves identify, right? And there's so many moments in time where that has been different. Um, and it's exciting to think that, that there are so many definitions that we haven't yet come up with and that there's room for all of those things to change and, and for that definition. Even, I mean, I've been in Atlanta only seven years and I think it's already so different. Like when I, I went to school at Emory and I have a lot of issues with what that looked like, but when I got there, I was the only Latina in 
maybe all of my classes. Um, I, did, I had one Latina professor the entire time that I was in the creative writing department, and she was a visiting professor, so I got her for one semester and then she left. Um, I was discouraged from using Spanish in my creative writing. Um, and, but again, and now I'm, I'm able to go back to Emory and I'm part of the uh, advisory board of Central Latinx and I see that it's so different now and there's so many expressions and versions and programming that is, that is shifting and, and changing so I think it's important to hold those two together. Jonathan, I think you did just that. They're, both can be true, which is something that's hard for us to realize as, as humans. Um, and that was kind of my last question for, for everyone, is just what are some hopes and, and kind of visions and dreams that you have for, for the communities that you, that you inhabit, that you frequent? I wish that people could stay and live where they want to be and like to live in places that feel like they're being treated with dignity because there's so many really like Buford Highway, all the kids that grew up on Buford Highway, we all grew up in apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. That's like part of like our childhood is like running around the apartment complex. And they're all owned, most of them by like really predatory like property management companies that like there's fires all the time because they don't want to update the appliances and electrical stuff. And it's like, I, I know that there's so much resilience in people that have come this far to live here and it's like they're still not being given the chance to just settle down like you don't have to fear for anything you're not going to be pushed out you won't be like pursued by the state or whatever you know like you're fine to finally like rest and like just live you know yeah. I wish that that's. I wish that that would be the case for more people on Beaufort Highway because I think. Uh, I'm sure for me, you know, I didn't migrate, but the older generations that did, that like they're the ones that made that sacrifice, and they still have to deal with those things when they come all the way over here. I imagine it's like, you're you must live in survival mode for so much of your life. Yeah. Yeah, they deserve more than to just survive. Mm-hmm. I have the like same like hopes as you do in that term because it's like I want to preserve Beaufort Highway I really do but I don't want to preserve it in the bad aspect mm-hmm. um, because I love the culture I love the community that was created and everything like that but not the like living conditions um, like what you were saying what resonated heavily with me because I grew up on Chambly, but then we had to move because it was so super expensive. But we had our community there, like neighbors and everything like that. And just everything was accessible, every like everything that we needed. So we had to move to Brookhaven. Now we're having a similar issue where it's like the apartment complex could give like zero fucks about what's going on. Like all they want is to check. And like as long as you renew and everything like that, that's all they care about, like the rent and stuff like that. But it's like I don't want to leave, and my family doesn't want to leave Beaufort Highway because it's Beaufort Highway. Like, you have Marta, you have Royal, you have, like, Supermercados, you have the community and everything like that. But it's, like, we're also getting, like, we as in the community is slowly getting kicked out of, like, our community, our safe space. But it's, like, to bring nice things, but not for us. And that's what's very frustrating, at least for me, because it's, like, yeah, I see the sidewalks, but eventually we're not going to be able to afford those sidewalks or i see like the parks and everything like these are nice playgrounds these are nice community spaces but 
that's not going to eventually it's not going to be for my community it's going to be for another community and so it's very frustrating that's one of the hopes i have too that we are able to stay and have buford highway but be able to have our people and the people that built it to like still live there live there and enjoy it and have like nice living conditions affordable living and then just be able to have that safe space so yeah that's one of mine too I feel like my hope for our community is tied to both of your hopes, but it's that our community never sees itself as victims. That we never we never just stay silent and submissive. My hope is that our community members, our neighbors, feel so empowered, so proud of who we are, so empowered in our talents and our beauty that we already have, to stand up for ourselves and take action together, so that they stop pushing us out, so that they stop defunding our schools and funding a new police facility in Chambly, that we stop giving all of the power to the nonprofit leaders that claim to speak for us and the politicians that claim to speak for us. My hope is that we stop seeing ourselves as victims or at the least that, you know, and if, because a lot of our folks don't see themselves as victims. They're just, they're in circumstances that make life very difficult for them um, to take action. But I hope that we get to a point where we can work together and, and speak up and take action to create the community that we deserve. Can I actually add on something? Absolutely. Okay, I thought, like, the term I think we're looking for is, like, yes, develop, but develop in ways that are, like, culturally relevant or, like, have a level of cultural awareness because, like, where our families come from, people don't, people aren't so car-dependent. Like, America's the very dependent car, or car-dependent culture. But we're used to like walking around, like eating in the street, going to the plaza, like going to the park, like people are always outside and like you can't really, we don't have, um, I think, is it called the third space? That's yes. like, we don't have the third space and like that's what our people need. We always, that's what we have back I mean, home. Tell people what the third space for those that it's like between home and work right like it's like your home is like your first space and work is your second space and then your third space is like a park like somewhere where just community can congregate and it's not under the pretense of like okay yeah we have plaza fiesta but that's owned by a private company and it's also like sold and rebought and like that yeah. doesn't count it's like the third space is like if we had like a central park or like some 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 like community meeting space where people can organically feel like, yeah, like a member of the community. Like. Yeah. There's a really interesting, um, there's a couple articles by this man named Roberto Bedoya, but he talks about the difference between placemaking and placekeeping. Mm. Um, and, and placemaking a lot of times is associated with the, what he calls the white spatial imaginary, which mm. is this idea that you're bringing an aesthetic that already doesn't belong to this community and, and you're labeling or codifying that aesthetic as something that is positive and like good um and a lot of that is, is a very like aseptic um like clean things right and everything is like white and pristine um but this notion of purity is going against the aesthetic that is true to a lot of these communities that are that are being displaced and that are on victims of gentrification um and so this, this term of, of placekeeping is how can we bring in uh, an imaginary that is that is true and honest and it's not this white spatial imaginary but that's something that makes sense and, and a lot of that is thanks to like advocates and, and community disruptors and, and community um, 
leaders that that are going against what what these definitions are and so I love that. I love that addition. Yes. <laughs> Can I ask a question for all of us to maybe reflect on? Wow, yes. Kind of in the theme of living in our own imagination, right? Like mm. if we could shape the Buford Highway over our dreams, mm. what would it look like? What would it be like? In terms of placekeeping for our community, by us, for us, with us, what does our Buford Highway look like and feel like, smell like, taste like, all these things? I would see street vendors out. Because I think street mm -hmm. vendors are like, you can get in a lot of trouble, right? But like, mm -hmm. that's how our people like to yeah. shop. Yeah. Buy flowers, produce, like food, drinks, whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. We don't always go into like, like now my family in Mexico, they'll go to Bodega Herrera, which is also owned by Walmart. But that's not, yes, I found Ooh. that out. Bodega Herrera, that's the Walmart undercover. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, Uncovering truths. As a title. But before, they they only shopped, like, they brought their own bags. And, like, you know, you go to, like, a mercado and shop that way. And I think that's just, like, another way to engage with um, the place yeah. that you're around. Um, this made me think of, uh, when, I, when I read this whole, you know, white spatial imaginary and what, what does it look like, I remember I wrote a list of things that I think are quintessentially, like, Buford Highway aesthetically um and i remember writing like tents like just like makeshift tents when people gather like in a parking lot in an apartment mm -hmm. and they're just like selling food and just doing their own thing i think speakers to play music a lot of times people are um afraid that they're gonna get in trouble with like the property owners or mm -hmm. just for playing music but music is so such a a, a true part of, of what these communities like and we yeah. like to dance and we like to sing and we like to be loud. And even live music. Yes, like live music. Every mm -hmm. corner. Um, and plastic chairs. You know, <laughs> like just to relax. Just your casual plastic chair. Um, I remember just being in all these meetings at one point about, you know, the beautifying, like the beautification, which is like a term oh. that I hate. Um, but so it's all these like lounging. <laughs> Like all these lounging areas that just look so not true uh, to what we like, but it's you know the classic foldable plastic chairs like that's all you need. That just reminds me of, like when you drive down or even walk through um, Buford Highway, you just see people like chilling on trees and having conversations, yes. like FaceTiming their families, or like like laying down i'm like i just want to be that comfortable right now like you look so comfy and like mm -hmm. this yeah you should this is your community this is your space like under a tree over there under like a stop sign or just straight up chilling that's funny that you said that because i i don't know who i was with but i know that they weren't latino and there was some guy that was just like hanging out in the shade under a tree and this person was like why are latino men always under trees like outside <laughs> hanging out and i'm like you just you feel comfortable like relaxing yeah, like you you're just yeah. trying to you're just trying to chill like and it's always on the phone like you don't feel like you you don't feel shame to be outside like you're supposed to be outside you don't have to like only talk to people when you're closed yeah. inside your house yeah it's funny that funny is not the right word it's, it's beautiful that we all give definitions that are related to rest like all our own, like our visions of Buford Highway are all centered around rest. Um, and like, 
third spaces, you know, the moments where that is created, whether it's to get your food or to sit under a tree or to dance and, and be with community. And I think that's something that that is so important to everyone, to be able to rest and to be able to just have a moment and, and not go, go, go all the time. Resting is a privilege and unfortunately not everyone has it. I'm actually curious. What's your yeah your like your perfect or what was the word you were using? Imagination. Imagination. Your imagination. Our living in our own imagination. Yeah. So, what's your vision of Buford Highway? Um. So much more green space, soccer fields, trees, expanded transportation. Uh, better sidewalks, better schools, bike lanes. Bike lanes for us, right? <laughs> uh, schools that teach us that are bilingual, multilingual, have people that represent us, that teach us who we are, empower us, less police and more alternatives to for actual justice and safety. Um, you know, having our own spaces where we have festivals and we have parties and we have reunions and all these things. Um, life-affirming institutions instead of death-making institutions. That's how I think about it. Hmm. Well, thank you all for being here, spending this hour with, with us talking. Um, I really appreciate everything you brought into the space. I appreciate you as people. Um, and I hope to continue seeing all the incredible things and, and disruptions that you, that you create <laughs> in the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Let's this episode of Identities and Belonging, a special content series to expand and explore what being Latino in the United States means to several advocates, leaders, community members, and creatives. If you haven't already, make sure to share this episode, rate our podcast, and follow us on social media at We Love View High. Your support allows us to continue to create this content and preserve people's stories. Muchísimas gracias. Gracias.